0: This beautiful, misty morning that we have outside. We can celebrate and enjoy the rain that God has given to us. I know I spoke with one of our ladies, one of the ladies this morning. She goes, I hate the winter time. I said, it's not winter yet. This is the fall. It's getting cool. It's not cold yet. I grew up in Mexico. This is cold. I said, well, it's cool. It's cool. Cold is what we had in China from November 1st to Thanksgiving, our temperature there would drop one degree a day. So it would go like from 50 degrees at the high down to 20 degrees by, uh, by Thanksgiving. And so we were very cold the way we lived in China. We had the winds coming out of Siberia blowing across us. My beard would freeze. My, I, my tears would cry with freeze. Huh, not really. It wasn't quite that bad. I do remember coming out of church in the middle of January, though, and you're walking, we had to walk down a hill to where the bus stop was, we took a bus home, and literally the wind was coming, And we had trees lining the, the street coming up, and so we were just walking down the street, and all of a sudden the wind came right up the hill, hit us in the face, and said, literally, the bridge of my glasses, you ever got those ice cream headaches, and ice headaches? The bridge of my glasses got so cold, touching my forehead, that I got the ice cream headache right across the front. We learned to walk backwards down the hill, all the way to the bus from That point, bus. Quite cold, so I did take off my glasses. I did take off my glasses. I was not as thinking people stupid I am. So this morning, uh, we're going to continue our series in Hebrews for the past seven weeks. We've been talking about how Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than all that's around us. Jesus is awesome. We love being in his presence. We love the fact that Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. All the prophecies, all the prophets, all the feasts, all the things that happened in the tabernacle, in the temple, everything that took place in the Old Testament, all that their worship was, all the things they did, they pointed to the Messiah, to how great Jesus, the great Jesus that was coming in just a couple thousand years. Now, they didn't know when the Messiah was coming, they didn't know exactly what was going to take place. They just were observing all these feasts. They were observing all these festivals. They were listening to the prophets and listening to these prophecies going, God, come soon. God, come quickly. Kind of like many of us are doing right now. God, I'm tired of 2020. Come now. Get us out of this place. And God said, well, maybe 2021 will be better. I hope so, but God, come quickly. Get us out of here. All of the Old Testament is pointing to the great Messiah, Jesus He is great. And I want to ask a question this morning as we look at Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the Great Hall of Faith, right? We're going to look and we're going to read through these men and women who live lives, great lives of faith this morning. And ask a simple question Is it worth it? Is it worth it? All the stuff that happened in the Old Testament, all those things they did, the way they lived their lives. Was it worth it? The struggles we go through every single day right now to get through life, forget coronavirus, forget all the stuff that's happened in 2020, just living our lives, is it worth it? Is it worth putting up the ridicule? Is it worth going through life living for God? When we see all that's going on around us, people cheating the system and robbing the system and working through loopholes in the systems and seeming to get ahead, when we struggle to live whole lives of righteousness, lives that are honoring and pleasing God, is it worth it? That's what we're going to kind of settle on today and hope that by the end of this morning's message, you'll be able to answer that question as I've answered it through my studies and through my prayer time and through living my life. Obviously, I wouldn't be here this morning if I didn't think it was worth it. So let me just put that out there. I would not be doing what I'm doing this morning if I did not think I would, it was worth it. I'd go find something else to do. But everyone's got to answer that question for themselves. Is it worth it? Hebrews 11.6 kind of sums up this, this a little, little bit. Let's read it together. It says here, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Oh my God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's kind of the key verse here. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the whoever would draw near to God, which hopefully everyone in this room desires to do, must believe that he exists and that he is the one who rewards us. Let's break that down just for a second here. What does that really mean? Let's look at a couple of impossibilities that that kind of sets up for us, right? A couple of impossibilities that this this verse lays out here. First of all, without faith, it is impossible to be commended to God, right? Without faith, it means it is impossible to be commended to God. No matter what you do in your life, no matter how morally just you think you are in this world, no matter how externally righteous you are, how good you try to live, without faith it means nothing. It doesn't mean squat. See, in in this world, the external righteousness, the, the morality, the general morality that we all have, that's what the world looks at. We judge our politicians on that. We judge our our brothers and sisters and our, our families on that. We hold everyone up to the standard of morality that we must all live up to. And if we don't live up to that standard, you're a bad person. Right? No matter what standard we have, no matter how low or how lo- how high or how low it is that we have it set up for, it is too low for God. If you are not living the absolutely perfect Life from day one until the end you're not good enough to get into God's heaven you, without faith you cannot get into God's heaven the place he's prepared for us he's been working for thousands of years preparing a home for us he's been working for thousands of years preparing his place for us to go and worship and spend time, spend all of eternity with him But without faith that place. That place is only reserved for those who come at him come to him with faith. It's not based on your works. Based on how many times you read through the Bible. It's not based on how many times you come and sit in church. It's not based on how many times you give to the how much you give to the poor, how much you've given to the needy, you've given to all these others and not, not based on any of that. It's based on your faith in Him. Romans 3, verses 10 through 18 says it this way: as it is written, None is righteous. No, not one. Right. Right. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave and they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. They are swift to shed blood and in their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is mankind left to our own devices, trying to live life by our own morality, our own righteousness. Paul is quoting Psalms. There is none righteous, no, not even one. Until Jesus came. The second thing we learn here in this this further verse is that without faith, it is impossible to be condemned. With faith, it is impossible to be condemned. If you trust in Jesus, if you trust and you come to God in faith, it does not matter what you've done in your life, you cannot be God will not condemn you. You are held in his hand. When you turn your heart over to Jesus by faith and you bow your knee and you submit to his lordship, you submit to his In being King of kings and Lord of lords, you say, God, all I have is yours. I desire you. Forgive my sins. He takes your sins, the Bible says, and throws them as far as the east is from the west, and you are now his child, held in his hand, and you cannot be condemned because of that, because of your life, because your righteousness has been replaced with the righteousness of Christ, Bible says. He, the the big word, the theological word, is you get imputed, imputed with the righteousness of Jesus. Means he replaces yours for his. And Jesus lived that sinless life and died on the cross for us, sacrificed himself so that we might enjoy heaven, so we might enjoy him. So it is impossible to be condemned. I mean, that's the glory of the gospel, right? The righteousness of Christ is credited to, credited to us. So even our worst sins, our most atrocious deeds, can't separate us from the love of God. If Hitler had turned to Christ on his deathbed, even he would have been received into heaven. Jeffrey Epstein, turned if he had turned to Christ on his deathbed, he would have been accepted in heaven. The most atrocious criminals you can think of, those who we despise humanly. Merely if they turned their hearts to Jesus, they would be accepted. In our manly thinking, our earthly thinking, we want justice. And those people deserve justice on this earth. They deserve justice for their their evil acts and their, their deeds, right? But in God's kingdom, They are still welcomed into his heaven. That's the glory and the blessing of the gospel. It is open to everyone, regardless of how we lived our life, if you but come to him in faith. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8. He says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can pull you out of his hand. Once you have received him as your Lord and Savior, your heart, your desires change. So no longer do you desire to live a life that's full of yourself, but you desire now to live a life that honors Christ by faith. That's what sets us apart. See, it's easy to say, well, if I receive Christ, I can live however I want, right? Mm-hmm. Technically, yes. But the person who truly receives Christ does not want to live however they want. I desire now to live however Christ wants me to live. I desire to walk according to his statutes. I desire to please him and honor him with everything that I am. So now what I wanted before is no longer what I want now. Thankfully, is changing me from the inside out. So those are the impossibilities. I love it. We can't be commended to God based on our own actions, but also without faith, we can't be condemned because we have that faith. So look at the second half of the verse there. It says, the reason for our faith is this. It says, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. See, it tells me that God is a gracious rewarder. He is the one who rewards us for our faith. He is the one who looks at us and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome into my my peace. Welcome into my presence. Welcome into the heaven that I have been creating for you. He is going to reward us one day. And you may have experienced rewards here on earth as well. That's fine and dandy but I'm looking forward to the heavenly rewards. I'm looking forward to what God has in store. I'm looking forward to spending time with God, walking through the garden. I'm looking forward to spending time with Jesus and going, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you did for us. He is the rewarder of us. A couple of assertions that are made here. One, that we must accept the existence of God by faith. And secondly, that we must accept his promises by faith. Now look, think about this, accepting the existence of God. Hopefully, everybody in this room accepts the existence of God. By faith, we have accepted the existence of God. There are many modern philosophical arguments that you can throw out there. I learned them in school. I've tried recalling them. I've tried using them from time to time. The author of Hebrews here just reminds us of one thing. And he goes back to the very beginning of the, of the book here that we started. He reminds us that the ultimate reason that we accept the existence of God is because we believe that he has revealed himself in Jesus and that he has spoken to us in his Scripture. All the other arguments aside that are good, scientific, logical arguments that we like to use with people who don't truly believe in God and in any God, the author of Hebrews says we believe in God because he's revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ and given us his word. His very words. Not just a video, not just a message. The words of God. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says this, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us how? By his son, whom he appointed as the heir of all all things, and through whom also he created the world. So whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. See, it's not that Christians are people of faith and atheists are people of reason. It's not this dichotomy. That's what the world wants us to think, that we as believers, churchgoers, we trust everything in faith. And whereas the world trusts reason, logic, and science. That's such a jacked up philosophy. That's so false. The world wants us to believe that. It's not just about us being spiritual people Because there are a lot of spiritual people out there who don't believe in God. If we believe that God is drawing mankind to himself, that means he has put within every person a desire to know the divine, a desire to experience and to get to know him personally. And they're all searching for different ways to do it. When God says, here I am. God, we don't want to come to you that way. We want to come to you on our terms. See, everyone's got this ultimate intellectual starting place, this worldview that we, we call it. Atheists operate from a worldview that is based on a set of assumptions and presuppositions and that they have received by faith as well. They believe natural secularism and materialism by faith. do not any evidence that that's the way the world operates. Those who don't truly believe in God, their belief system is based on faith. We come at God based on the faith from God's word. They're attempting to replace God, we're attempting to find God, we have found God. They want to replace God with secularism. They want to replace God with materialism. They want to replace God with entertainment. They want to replace God with themselves. Of course, God says, here I am. Just believe in me. The Christian accepts the biblical worldview as his ultimate, intellectual starting point not as evidence against reason but in concert with reason look at some of the theologians that are out there today guys who have much big, bigger brains than I do and they have been able to debate, they've been able to discuss these issues with philosophers and all these other atheists that are out there one of my professors in college, his name is Gary Habermas he went to a secular university to get his PhD and to defend the resurrection of Jesus Christ at a secular university. He's got more guts than I do. He went there and stood before the committee and defended and proved the resurrection of Jesus. He went on stage and debated atheists over and over and over again. One of the most famous ones was he debated the uh, atheist named Anthony Flew. And they would debate, and they would debate over and over again on different stages. And at the end of his life, Anthony Flew said, he's no longer an atheist. If there is a God out there. He just wasn't sure if it was the God of Gary Heidelberg. But he had moved from this worldview into this other worldview where he had until the end of his life. See, the worldview that we hold, it's not in opposition to science and logic and all those other things. They work together. God created all those things. He gave us the elements. He gave us the scientific rules. He gave us all the things. He gave us brains to be able to work through these issues logically. He's not opposed to them. The second assertion is this, is that God is the rewarder of those who seek him. So on one hand, if you want to draw near to God, you've got to believe he exists. And then on the other hand, he is the rewarder of those who seek him diligently. See, this reminds us of the grace of the gospel that it's not based on my merit, but on God's mercy. I'm seeking God, and he rewards me for it. It wasn't based on what I did. It wasn't based on how I lived my life, or what I knew in my brain, or didn't know in my other brain. It's based totally on his mercy and his grace. See, God is a rewarder because he gives grace and mercy to those who trust in his promises. In the gospel, God makes promises of salvation, and declarations about the goodness of his character. And when we trust those promises and believe in those declarations, he fulfills his word and rewards us with his kindness. God is our rewarder. God is our rewarder. My church is not my rewarder. My family is not my rewarder. A pat on the back from somebody is not my rewarder. God is my rewarder. He is why I do what I do. He's why I get up in the morning and read my Bible. He's why I I spend time talking to people about my faith. He is why I get up and I preach the word of God. I desire for him to be pleased with me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. He is our reward. So then how does one enjoy the blessings of God? By believing that God will make good on his word, And shower us with grace if we come to him with empty hands of faith. God, I come to you right now, just as I am. I believe and trust who you said you are in your word. I believe and trust what you did for me. I believe and trust in you just as I am. I come to you. Empty hands, not full of me, full of a desire to know him. So that is our faith journey, right? That's when we live our lives from point A to point Z. From the time I became a believer at age seven, I've been slowly living my life and striving to grow closer to him. I come to God like this. God, I know a lot about your word, but there's so much I don't know about your word or about you, and I desperately need you in my life. And we come to him like that without any presuppositions, without any assumptions. God, fill me. We are not alone on that faith journey. So many others have traveled before us and have had to answer the same question, is it worth it? So many others have traveled this journey before us and they had to answer the simple question, is it worth it? Hebrews in chapter 11 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, still he still speaks. Was it worth it? By faith, verse 5, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. Was it worth it? By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen and in river fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Is it worth it? Did Noah think it was worth it? By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going, and by faith, he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received the power to conceive even when she was past the age. Since she considered him faithful who had promised, was it worth it? Did they think it was worth it to walk in faith? Verse thirteen: These all had died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and have acknowledged that they were strangers, exiles on earth. For people who were who speak thus, making it clear they are seeking a homeland. Those people, was it worth it to them? Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, took his son up to the mountaintop as he raises his arm, getting ready to stab his son and kill his son offering a sacrifice. He sees in the thicket a lamb, right? It was an act of offering his only son of whom it was said in verse 18, through Isaac, your offspring will be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead. Was it worth it? Was not worth it? Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each one of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. <coughs> by faith, jo- Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edicts. For three months, they hid this small child in their home, keeping him from the king's guards. And then what they do, they took this child, they put him in the water, right? On the Nile, put him in a little tiny boat, and they set him adrift, trusting in faith that God was going to protect him. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? By faith, Moses, when he was growing up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. How could Moses consider the, the reproach of Christ greater? Christ hasn't been born yet. He was trusting and living by faith to the promises of God. The future Messiah. Was it worth it? Verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Walking up to the Red Sea, knowing that the Egyptians are coming right behind them, they're standing there. What do you think was going through their mind? Fear, worry, doubt. Moses steps forward, parts the Red Sea. They cross on dry land, but the Egyptians are coming right behind them. They get to go side, God closed the sea over the Egyptians. Do you think their faith was worth it? Their trust in God was worth it. <coughs> By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been in a circle for seven days. Imagine you're the, you're the Israelites, and you, your leader, Je- Joshua, comes to you and says, Okay, here's the plan, man. We're going to march around the city of Jericho one time and leave. Next day, we're going to go back, Mark watch around the city of Jericho one time, and we're going to leave. Shh. Everybody be quiet. For six days, we're going to do that. One time and leave. One time and leave. And on the seventh day, you ready? We're going to march around seven times. And then we're going to blow our trumpets and shout. Is that it? Is, is, that's the plan, Joshua? That's what you have in store? And these people of faith walked around the walls of Jericho and they saw them come tumbling down. Was their faith worth it? Verse 32, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to think the tale of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith, conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put four foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead for the resurrection. Some were, some were tortured and refusing to accept release, so they might rise again to better life. Was it worth it? All these saints, all these people we look at in Scripture, they lived their lives of faith, and then they succeeded, and they we saw God do great and mighty things through them. Because of their faith but what if the results were not the same what if you live a life of faith and you don't see the results that these saints had look at verse 36 but others suffered mocking and flogging chains imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. What if Life just does not go as planned. Do you think that these ones that we just spoke about would say, it wasn't worth it for me? I got cut in two. I got killed. I got stoned. I I was destitute. I had no money. I had to walk around in sheepskins. I even had a Speedo to wear. Do you think that when they met Jesus, they said, this wasn't worth it? See, these saints, whether it goes good, well for them or went bad for them, they all came out with the same understanding of the greatness and awesomeness of God. And they would say, and they would tell each and every one of us this morning, it was worth it. Press on, press ahead. Keep doing those things you know to be good, what you know to do as a believer, because your faith will be rewarded. It is. Is worth it. On the cross, Jesus hung there and he says, It is finished. Amen. All that is needed for the completion of the plan of God has been done. It is finished. My people are redeemed. It is worth it. Jesus thought that you were worth it. As he hung there on the cross, he saw each and every one of your faces. He said, you are worth it. Sitting in this room this morning, you are worth it. Watching online this morning, you are worth it. Living a life of faith is so worth it. I don't care what people think of me outside. I don't live for the cheers and the applause of men. I don't care if my name never gets put up in lights, if I never get written about. I don't care. The only one I care about is what God thinks about me. He is the only one. He is the only one that matters. As much as I love my wife and my kids, ultimately I don't care what they think. I don't want to know what God thinks. Right? He is the only one with it that really matters. He is worth it. We come together to worship. Not just to get together to have coffee and donuts and to shake a few hands or bump a few elbows. We come together because He is worth it. He is worthy of our worship, of everything we can bring. It's not just the music we sing. It's the offer the gifts we give and tithes and offerings. It's coming together and we pray together and we listen to God's word. When we leave here, and we try to make an impact in our community around us. Those who are hurting and looking for an answer, we have the answer. He's worth. He is so worth it. This week God's going to give you the opportunity. He's going to give you opportunity this week to go and share the message of how awesome he is. He's going to put somebody in your path. I know it. He's going to put somebody in your path this week and you're going to have the opportunity to, to share with them how awesome Jesus is. Be ready. Look for it. Don't put on your blinders like we do with racing horses. Take off your blinders and be looking for those divine opportunities that God is going to give you this week to share how awesome he is. He's worth it. Living for him is so worth it. Trusting in him is so worth it. Believing in him is so worth it. Coming together to see each of your smiling faces this morning is so worth it. Even if you aren't here, and I can't see your face through the camera, it's worth it because of what Christ has done for us. I'll have you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute this morning? Because our team comes up to close. Closing song. Maybe this morning you're sitting here or watching online and you've never experienced, truly experienced the love of Jesus. I'm talking about how much he's worth it, and you're thinking to yourself, I can't really admit that. I don't know. This morning you have an opportunity to give your heart to Jesus. To follow him in faith. To trust him by faith. Not by your works, by faith. Because of what he has done for us. I'm going to pray a prayer. And in your heart right now, in your, in your you're quietly sitting there listening and watching if you desire this morning to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to repeat this prayer to yourself. Mean it in your heart and pray this prayer and become a child of God this morning. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I've messed up in so many ways. And this morning, I come before you in faith. Believing that you exist. Believing that you died for me. Believing that you rose again for me. And desire me to be in your kingdom as one of your children. So this morning, Jesus, I submit myself to you. I give you all that I am. I want to receive all that you have for me. And by faith, I receive you. Show me this morning, Jesus, just how worth it you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time, and you're watching online, I want you to put a little note in the comments down there as you're watching Say, I prayed that prayer. That's all. We'll make contact with you. We'll get you to know what your next steps are. If you're sitting here this morning in our auditorium and you prayed that prayer for the very first time, there's a connect card in front of you and one of the chairs around you on the back of the connect cards, put on their eye, mark mark the box that says, I receive Christ. I want to know what my next steps are. We want to get in touch and let you know what are the next steps in this journey of faith that we're all on together. We're all on the journey together. None of us is, I got it all figured out. (laughs) We're all still struggling and working it out together. So let us tell you what your next steps are. Let's get you moving down the path to truly understand who Jesus is and how deeply he wants to have an intimate relationship with you. As we close this morning, I want us to stand and sing this final song with Karis and Joe this morning. As we sing together, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. No coercion, we're freely giving him all that we are. As we sing together.